You're listening to Chin FM here on 106.9 UNE Student Powered Radio and a very big good evening to all of you listening out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode three of Way Back When with your host, myself, Ben Lewis. So we've got an amazing show coming up. It's going to be playing the best music from 1972 as this is a throwback to the year 1972 looking at things that were happening at the university. We're going to be playing you the best music from 1972 and then in the second half of the show I will be playing snippets of an interview that I was lucky enough to conduct with Dr. Kirsty Abbott yesterday, who is the head of the UNE Discovery Program. We'll be talking a little bit about the Discovery Program and about the Boiler House project that they are going to be doing in the next few years, which is going to reinvent the UNE Boiler House. Of course, the design of the Boiler House was approved in the December of 1972, hence the link there to this wonderful year, and before the construction commenced in the next year. So we're going to kick things off with Harry Nilsson's Coconut. Harry Nilsson, of course, was the first artist we ever featured here on air back in 1970. This is Coconut by Harry Nilsson. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is way back when, and this is Coconut. Say woo to relieve your belly ache. You say woo, 
That was Coconut by Harry Nilsson, and this is Way Back When on Tune FM 106.9, the home of UNE student-powered radio. Next up, we have a song that features one of the most iconic riffs of all time, Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Smoke on the Water, of course, is easily identified by its central theme, which was developed by guitarist Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple. It is a simple four-note blues-scale melody in G minor, and was played on a Fender Stratocaster electric guitar by Blackmore. He later claimed that the main power chord riff is an interpretation of Inversion of Symphony No. 5 by Beethoven himself, and humorously claimed that he owes Beethoven a lot of money. Smoke on the Water, of course, was Deep Purple's biggest hit, although, and definitely the song they are most known for. It was released in the uh, as part of the album Machine Head, which became which absolutely blew up. It became number one in Canada and reached number one in the UK, while re-established them in North America by hitting number seven. It is an incredible song on an incredible album by a very, very good band, so we're going to play it to you right now from 1972. Here is Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. You're listening to Way Back When here on Tune FM 106.9, the home of UNE's student-powered radio.
That was Smoke on the Water by the amazing Deep Purple, and you're listening to Way Back When here on Tune FM 106.9, the home of student-powered radio. This is episode three, of course, of Way Back When, looking at 1972. So coming up next, we have a song that has been covered numerous times, I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash. Of course, the original song was released in 72. It was a single from the album of the same name and achieved success in the United States and the United Kingdom, reaching number one, notably on the US Billboard Hot 100. It is a very, very good song, and it has a lot of reggae influences. He recorded, uh, Nash recorded it in London with members of Fabulous Five Inc. and produced it himself. His, his, its arrangements and style, excuse me, are both heavily laced with reggae influences and features a lot of Bob Marley's reggae style, which is to be expected given that Nash frequently collaborated with Bob Marley in the past. Here it is, I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash, coming up next on Way Back When. You're listening to Tune FM here on 106.9, UNE's student-powered radio.
that was I Can See Clearly Now, the original version by Johnny Nash, released of course in 1972, as this is way back when, episode 3, where we are focusing on 1972. Coming up next, of course, we have another song from that same year, obviously. This one's going to be Tumbling Dice, written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, and released under the Rolling Stones' double album, Exile on Main Street, and it was, interestingly enough, the album's lead single. Funnily enough, the song was originally going to be called Good Time Women, and the lyrics tell the story of a gambler who cannot remain faithful to any woman. It's a rather interesting song, and it was very uh, critically acclaimed upon its release. It reached number 11 on the Australian charts, funnily enough. It reached 7th on the US Billboard Hot 100, and in a rather interesting review, it was uh, one of the biggest criticisms of the song, according to the review given by Disc Magazine. It's a sing- it's a shame that the single doesn't last six minutes longer, which certainly appears high praise for me- from me. Or certainly appears high praise to me. So here we go, we're going to present it to you right now. Here is Tumbling Dice, coming up next by the Rolling Stones. You're listening to Way Back When, here on Tune FM 106.9, the home of UNE student-powered radio.
see you all here, I tell you, the hottest day of the year so far. Are you surviving? You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM and you just heard Tumbling Dice by the Rolling Stones here on Way Back When. Well, I think it's time that we spoke about Elvis. Oh. Elvis, of course, one of the famous uh, artists of all time, most famous artists of all time, known as the King of Rock for a reason. Burning Love comes to you from 1972. It was released on his 1972 self-titled album, and it was one of his biggest hits. It was his hit single in the United States, his biggest hit single in the United States since Suspicious Minds, released back in 69, and it was his last top 10 hit in the American Hot 100 or Pop Charts before his tragic death at the age of 42 in 1977. Given that rather unfortunate end to his amazing life and career burning love is one of his most well-known hits it reached number 37 in the australian charts number two on the u.s billboard hot 100 uh, number one on the u.s cashbox top 100 and seventh in the united kingdom it's a very very good song by the king of rock and roll himself so we're going to play it to you right now 1972's burning love by elvis presley coming up next on way back when you're listening to tuna fam here on 106.9 une's student powered radio
You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM here on Way Back When, and that was Burning Love by Elvis Presley. We move now from the king of rock to the king of pop, Michael Jackson himself. In 1972, Michael Jackson released the album Got To Be There, and one of the singles from said album was Rockin' Robin, which is in fact a cover. Rockin' Robin was originally released in 1958 by Leon Rene under the pseudonym Jimmy Thomas. MJ would release his cover version in 72, of course, The B-side of the single was Love Is Here and Now You're Gone, interestingly enough, for any of those that uh, collect vinyls out there. It was a big hit. It reached number two on the US Billboard Hot 100, three on the UK Singles Charts, and interestingly enough, number 23 on Australia's Ghost Set National Top 40 Charts. So we're going to bring it to you right now. Here is Michael Jackson's interpretation of Rock and Robin. You're listing to Way Back When here on Tune FM 106.9. You're listening to Way Back When here on Tune FM 106.9 and you just heard Rock and Robin by Michael Jackson. Well, we've had the King of Rock, we've had the King of Pop, and now we're going to have the Goblin King. The Goblin King, of course, many names used by David Bowie, the amazing David Bowie, and while the movie Labyrinth would not come out until the 1980s, 72 was a very good year for David Bowie. He released Ziggy Stardust, the song that we're going to be playing next, from the concept album The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. One of Bowie's best-known albums, the 
lyrics are revolve around Ziggy Stardust, a bisexual alien rock star who acts as a messenger for extraterrestrial beings. It is an incredible song from an incredible album. Concept albums can historically they can they can be a bit 50/50. Sometimes they can be amazing, like Ziggy Stardust, for instance. Sometimes they can be a bit less successful, a bit less receive less well received by the fans and critics a good example would be kiss's music from the elder ziggy stardust of course falls into the former category and the song ziggy stardust from the album actually is one of his best received songs it has received critical acclaim ever since it was released it is uh, it receives praise for its story its guitar rift and the performance of the band it it was actually one of four david bowie songs to be included in the rock and roll hall of fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll and rolling stone ranked it at number 282 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time back in 2010 it is an amazing song by an absolutely amazing artist i'm a little bit of a fanboy for david bowie if you can't tell so here is ziggy stardust by david bowie from 1972 you're listening to way back when here on tune fm played guitar jamming good with weird and gilly and the spiders from Mars he played it left hand but made it too far became the special man then we were Ziggy's band Ziggy really sang screwed up eyes and screwed down hairdo like some cat from Japan He could lick them by smiling He could leave them to hang They came on so loaded, man Well hung snow white tan
That was the amazing Ziggy Stardust by the even more amazing David Bowie on Way Back When here on Sheen FM 106.9. Now we've come to the second half of the show, so we're going to be playing a few snippets from Dr. Abbott's interview. I was lucky enough to conduct an interview with Dr. Kirsty Abbott yesterday, who is the head of UNE Discovery. UNE Discovery is a project that aims to attract, engage, and inspire children and families in our communities through discovery spaces, although you'll hear her talk more about it in just a minute. Interestingly enough, Dr. Abbott has a PhD from Monash University, and when I wanted to confirm with her that it was indeed in entomology, in other words, ants, she was very enthusiastic to tell me a little more. Here is Dr. Kirsty Abbott's response when I asked her if she could confirm that her PhD was indeed in entomology. Yeah, so my PhD was looking at um, the dynamics of yellow crazy ants on Christmas Island. So my research is essentially looking at the dynamics um, of invasive ants on tropical islands. I've worked all throughout the Indian Ocean and Pacific Ocean, um, helping Polynesian and other small islands and other small islands essentially uh, understand their pests and get rid of them <laughs> and save their, their livelihoods and their forests. And indeed, she was very enthusiastic to detail exactly what her PhD was on, as you can hear. So basically, the reason that I sat down and spoke with Dr. Abbott yesterday is because UNE Discovery has a new project called the UNE Boiler House. And the reason we're looking at that is because the UNE Boiler House, which is actually something that we can see out of our window here at Tune FM, is located up on the UNE campus. And their final design for stage three of the Boiler House was approved in December of 1972 in a very big moment for UNE, given that it had been stalled for a few years. So construction would begin the following year and before we get uh, Dr Abbott to talk a little bit about uh, the Boiler House program we are going to get her to explain the history of the Boiler House just a little bit so I'm going to hand over once again to Dr Abbott. Can you just give our, uh, I'm not entirely sure how detailed it is because I know very much very little about it myself but can you give a little bit of a history into the Boiler House? Yeah, the boiler house, you mean the function of the boiler house itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as you can imagine, you know, going to uni or studying in, in Armadale was, really involves eight months of the year, which is pretty cold. <laughs> and so um, they had to heat it somehow. And in fact, so Bullamimba was the first part or the first actually building of UNE in, in the 30s. And Bullamimba was heated through coal-fired boilers um, that were attached to Bullamimba. Those, those structures are actually now gone, but that was the traditional way to heat. So coal-fired um, boilers, essentially, you shovel coal into a furnace and the furnace heats a water container sitting on, you know, on top of the furnace and then to a, and that water gets to a very, very high temperature and it can be put under very high pressure. And then so that high pressure, high temperature water is then piped through the building or through the university per se, and that's the heating. So a lot of the heaters you'll see at UNE at the moment um, that still exist are actually um, panels through which you can see water is pumped. And that's exactly what the boiler house did. So it grew really in line with the growing of the university. And so it was built in three stages to accommodate this huge growth. Um, stage one was a little asbestos um, shed, which is completely gone. Um, and on our website, we've got a photo of it. And in fact, one of the chimneys from that first stage is in Man Street uh, and it's it now says brickworks on the side of it so they somebody salvaged it and has essentially turned it into a sign and a bit of an artwork so it's already set a precedent that we can start using these things around town and that's in um, Man Street here in Armadale yeah down in the industrial center so oh, wow. um, 
Yeah, 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 you'll have to have a look in the western part of Man Street. So if you're going uh, near Killens, Smash Repairs, um, Cliff Wright Motors and that area. Yep, another um, one. Yeah, yeah, go down Man Street and have a look at the Brickworks Chimney. That's from the UNE Boiler House, Stage 1. Well, there you go. If that's something for all of our Armadale listeners, if you want to... Um, if you're driving to work the next few days and you want a bit of an detour, go and check out what was once part of the boiler house in the late 50s and 60s. That's yeah, totally. Cool. And imagine if you can kind of start at that brickworks chimney and it would, wouldn't it be cool if it then had a little clue to go to stage two artwork there you go. Uh, in Armadale and then we would have something somewhere else. A bit more and interactive. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of, you know, a little bit of our plan in town as well. But then stage two was built because the university grew and they brought in these things called Beulet boilers and they installed two in the 60s um, with, with another part of the building to accommodate a third for when the university grew as well. But actually by the time they got to the point where that third boiler needed to be installed, the university had grown so much in the 60s that they really had to just go big. So they commissioned um, the government architects at that time who were who prioritised design over function, so they were really into this modernist, brutalist kind of design, yeah. to design stage three. And that's where we get these beautiful concrete geometric shapes coming in, um, where John Bryant, the architect, uh, designed it so that it was a beautiful building. Um, and Jeffrey Weber, who was the government architect who signed off on the building uh, on that stage three um, in 1973, is actually still alive. And he is an adjunct um, of part of at University of Sydney School of Architecture. He knows what we're doing to his building. Um, we've been in touch with him and he has um, a, an artwork of the Bowler House up in his office that we sent him. So that's a, quite a really nice nod and link to the past and the history of the building as well that people involved in that know what's going on and have been very much part of the story of how we've developed it and also the significance of the parts of it that we've retained. That's incredible. So given, um, given that this week, um, again, for our listeners, is all about celebrating 1972, uh, which is the third year of Chin FM's existence, the Boiler House Stage 3 design was finalised in December of 72 before construction kicked off the following year, which is why we've sort of been fairly... Uh, we've been pushing the boiler house uh, this week. So what exactly is the boiler house program, um, Dr. Abbott? What exactly is the, uh, the intentions of discovery to turn the boiler house into? And that was Dr. Abbott giving us just a little bit of information in regards to the history of the UNE Boiler House. So we are going to get her to answer that question that you would have heard me ask just then, what exactly the program and the project of the Boiler House actually is. But we're going to have a little song from 1972 first. A little song that you may have heard, I'm assuming you will have, called Rocket Man. I think it's going to be a long, long time. Composed by Elton John and Bernie Taupin and originally performed by Elton John, of course, on the 1972 album Honky Chateau becoming a massive hit single, rising to number two in the UK singles chart and number six on the US Billboard Hot 100. In 2019, it was certified platinum by the British phonographic industry for sales of 600,000 digital downloads and streaming equivalent sales, which was amazing. And with sales of 3 million in the US, the song was certified three times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. Rolling Stone again listed it at number 245, in fact, of its 500 greatest songs of all time. It was a massive hit from Elton John. And of course, it has been a staple of his Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour. We're going to play it for you right now. Here is... Rocket Man, I think it's going to be a long, long time by Elton John. You're listening to Way Back When here on Tuna Fan 106.9. She packed my bags last night, pre flight. 
zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then.
That was Rocket Man. I think it's going to be a long, long time by Elton John himself. You're listening to Way Back When here on Shin FM 106.9, UNE Student Powered Radio. Now that we've had that little song to cheer you up and get you in a nice, happy, bouncy mood, we are going to be going back to Dr. Abbott as she explains what exactly the Boiler House program is from UNE Discovery and what it intends to do. So once again, I'm going to throw back over to myself asking Dr. Abbott a question and we're going to see how she responds. What exactly is the Boiler House program, um, Dr. Abbott? What exactly is the, uh, the intentions of Discovery to turn the Boiler House into? Yeah, great question. It's, it's a huge adaptive reuse transformational project. In fact, um, in terms of industrial buildings in regional Australia, it could be considered one of the more innovative and iconic buildings. Mm. Um, and the same with Rob College, you know, around the same time, the architect, the architectural style and Rob College, again, is a huge, significant architectural piece in regional Australia. So lots of people are watching this. We're very, uh, we're very aware that it's a very uh, public project. We're going to turn it into a children's discovery space. So a children's discovery space, if you are unaware of children's museums that exist all over the world, are essentially play-based spaces where family and children Dr. gather, giving us a but really communities can gather to learn to play, but for those of you that maybe want to learn a bit more about what Discovery actually is, where they discovery, so that that well, play, um, and collaborative play for kids and adults and families, um, pandemic. it's essentially what stimulates a diversity of neural pathways, and really underpins our five C's that we are driving the project with, and that's really to cultivate curiosity. So UNE Discovery is in collaboration, engagement initiative, and uh, a bit of a flagship, I guess, of external engagement for UNE, engaging with communities all over our region, um, and, but in Australia, really. Um, and um, right we take playful experiences in STEAM to people um, around at UNE. So when I say children's discovery spaces, there's going to be a paid section where these amazing experiences We also do festivals for 0 to 12 year olds and family shows. But then there'll be a specialty really is translating a lot of scientific technological engineering hopefully there'll be a cafe and outdoor into play playful experiences that, that can help people and inspire there'll be children's party uh, to, to want to learn and be lifelong learners for seminars That's and superb. workshops and so given that obviously unfortunately UNE no longer has an really engineering degree it's going to be a hub for, for STEM years now do you work well, I guess so do you have any sort of professional interaction with the schools of science and mathematics and art for that matter and hopefully yeah absolutely so inspiring playful place for industry, researchers and adults in law, but we work you know, with to be pretty well. much every school and, and all in a steampunk industrial style. Because we, we see being amazing you know, opportunity to, to solve problems and to think holistically as all those things combine function to disciplinary um, what we do. We're and not really, you know, we don't did really say pump steam, real steam through the university, but it also now represents need engineering skills to solve problems in chemistry. Yeah, it will have a when it's finished. Absolutely, a really a, a playful one, and I think we're just embarking on this first design phase of un, that's trying to create a very new playful steampunk aesthetic. Thank you, Dr. Abbott, for answering those questions in regards to what the UNE Discovery Program is and how they are carrying forward in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is, of course, wonderful to hear that they are still managing to carry things forward without too much hindrance. Of course, remember, if you want to learn a little bit more about the Discovery Program, or if you want to potentially have them bring one of their projects such as the Voyager 
Future Project to your school, please visit their website, unediscovery.org.au. That's unediscovery.org.au. Coming up next, we have another throwback song to 1972. This one is the interestingly titled The Witch Queen of New Orleans. It is about a 19th century practitioner of voodoo from New Orleans, of course, named Marie Laveau. It was released by Redbone and was released on his third album, Message from a Drum. It peaked at number two in the United Kingdom and number 21 in the United States. I hope that you enjoy. Here is The Witch Queen of New Orleans on 106.9 Tune FM. You're listening to Way Back When. That was The Witch Queen of New Orleans by Redbone. You're listening to Way Back When here on Tune FM 106.9, the home of UNE student-powered radio. We're throwing back now to Dr. Abbott, and I was very curious to know what her thoughts were on the design of the Boiler House project, if it was going to use the same building as the UNE Boiler House or if it was going to be torn down and placed with something else, and her answer was actually fairly surprising. Given that the building has been standing for quite some years now, will uh, will the the new, will the, the Discovery Program, will it be constructing all of these new um spaces experiences experiences um will it be still will you be doing that in the old interior of the boiler house or will the, or will the building actually be replaced with something different 
Well, this will be the exciting part, actually, of working with a designer and the architect who will be on board by mid-year this year. Okay. It's a, it's a tricky brief. So we've, we've just put expressions of interest, actually, for the designer closed this afternoon. Oh, um, that's, um, that's timely. It's very it? timely, yes. It's incredibly exciting to see who is putting their hand up for this job. We've had interest, we've had interest from firms in the States whose bread and butter is designing these sorts of buildings. So it's an wow. internationally recognised project, yeah. I mean, of course, we will prioritise local um, suppliers and firms, but just to know that people over there are interested is great. Um, yeah, so working with a designer will be amazing. I think it'll be an interesting and tricky juggle between a combination of retaining the old structure and the, the stories with it um, and the aesthetic but obviously um, expanding on that for a new footprint using new materials. And again, we've got this great opportunity for the story of going from old technology through to new technology, not over in, in the structure materials and energy production too. So yeah, it, it's tricky. A rather interesting answer from Dr. Abbott there. It is fairly interesting that the uh, design will be spoken about at great length. I certainly hope they're able to retain a lot of what is currently there, but we will have to wait and see. Of course, the final project is expected to be completed around about 2023, best case scenario, so let's hope that that happens. Interestingly enough, Dr. Abbott was very enthusiastic about the project, of course, describing it as a $15 million steampunk discovery space, which I thought was rather amusing. She also expressed the delight at the potential of out-of-town visitors coming coming to visit UNE for the express purpose of seeing the Boiler House, something that we were very enthusiastic to talk about and we are going to play it for you right now. Here is myself and Dr. Rabbit talking about visitors coming to Armadale for the express purpose of seeing the new UNE Boiler House. Given that our Vice-Chancellor has been so vocal and so passionate about town, town and gown and, you know, opening up the university and improving the university's relationship with the town of Armadale. I take it the Boiler House project when it's finished in Touchwood 2023 will be something that will be open to the, the community, to be open to everybody, not just people on campus. Absolutely. And in fact, I would say that it is an entirely different audience to those people who come to campus 99% of the time. We will be the public face of the university, inviting children and their families onto campus every day. Um, but also travellers, you know, people travelling around Australia. We hope that it will become such an iconic destination that people will travel a few hours and stay in Armadale to experience the Boiler House and other things that UNE have to offer. So absolutely, you know, the VC's town with gown is, is our mantra. You know, the public might come for a special event. Or when I say the public, there's a whole heap of people that might come for a special event at UNE. But with the Boiler House... Um, and discovery opportunities through campus, a discovery trail, think about maybe, then, you know, parents of young children could come, could go to kinder gym in the morning, for instance, and then mini minstrels and then come to the boiler house for a few hours and then go home for a nap. Or, and then once you're at the boiler house, you can experience the union, you can look at Baller Mimba, you can go to the Natural History Museum. There are so, and then you can, go, you know, make your way down to Sport UNE and have a swim. There's an entire day or couple of days for people who wouldn't normally hang out at UNE, and they're really stimulating experiences. And once, uh, particularly in regional areas, once you become familiar with a lifelong learning institution, it really helps you identify as somebody that could be there in the future and come back and make this your, your special place. So yes, absolutely external engagement and people from around our region, the state and our country are, um, are welcome every day. It could certainly, um, it certainly sounds like something that will promote 
that idea of external engagement and improve uh, UNE's interrelationship with the town. I mean, obviously the town of Armadale, but like you said, the, um, the country as a whole, I mean, off the top of my head, and I don't know why this came into my head, but most people, if they were traveling from Sydney to Brisbane, for instance, would just go down the Pacific Highway rather than the New England Highway, whereas now this could be something that might entice them to travel a few extra hours, but stop in and see something this amazing on the way. Absolutely. It can be a tourist draw card for sure. And an excuse to go a different way and see something, see something different. Questacon in Canberra um, welcomes just over 500,000 visitors every year. And uh, of those, just over 60% of them are actually out of towners. So when we sort of look at that as our national science centre, we have an opportunity to sort of replicate that, but maybe at a sort of a lower, slightly lower numbers, but the proportion of visitors absolutely would be, would be out of towners. We also know that there are around 63 to 65,000 children in a sort of about a two and a half, three hour drive radius of Armadale between the ages of zero and 12. So if you think about the fact that kids aren't going to come by themselves, they'll be with one or two adults and maybe others as well. And you're sort of already looking at between 150 and 250,000 potential visitors each year that we have. Now we know that they're not all going to come, but we are estimating that we um, will attract up to 90,000 visitors a year at this point, given our, given Armadale's tourism, um, you know, statistics and also, I guess, a draw card of this amazing building. It was certainly wonderful to discuss the possibility of the UNE Boiler House attracting visitors to Armadale when it is finally complete. We want to give a huge thank you to Dr Kirsty Abbott for sitting down and joining with me yesterday and having a bit of a chat about what the project will entail. Of course, it's nice to reminisce about something that was indeed approved for final design in 1972, which is, of course, what this week was all about. Next week, of course, will be 1973. We've got some amazing music coming up from 73. Throwback Thursday on 1973, we'll be looking at Wounded Knee with Jake, so make sure that you catch that and i'll be back as well next week to discuss music from 1973 you're listening to way back when (laughs) 